I'm Richard Dugan, and thank you so much for joining us here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here normally on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. That is uh, Sundays, uh, Monday mornings at 1 a.m. and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And for the month of December, we are embarking on a brand new venture, and that is what you're hearing right now. We're going to be here Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific time so that you will be able to uh, get some uh, new choices, uh, choices for your life that will help make your dreams come true. We hope that you will join us throughout the month of December for this very special series of programs we'll be broadcasting. Uh, Some of the interviews uh, are obviously going back a number of months, maybe even a year or so, because they've been in the archives waiting, waiting to breathe the, the fresh air of enlightenment and information and education. And so we're very excited about this. We're also podcasting on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, many other locations. And we're on YouTube where you can watch these inner conversations. That's what they are. They're conversations. And we're going to have a great conversation here on this program today as, um, we also encourage you to subscribe uh, at, at the very least as click notification so that uh, you'll be notified of the next conversation that's posted. If you can support the work that we're doing financially, we would greatly appreciate that. All you have to do is go to PayPal. It's there for your security as well as ours. And put in Richard at RichardDugan.com. That's Richard at RichardDugan.com when they ask, to whom shall you support? Uh, Then we ask that you take some time, and we're going to talk about this during this program, going within and listening to that still small voice during this, the decade of perfect vision, which I cannot believe that we are about to wrap up uh, the um, the 23rd year of this century and uh, what would be considered, I think, the fourth year, (laughs) because I count 2020 uh, as the decade of of the uh, 2020s. Uh, I can't believe we're about to wrap up this fourth year, but let us uh, move on to our very special guests, and and I'm so happy to have them back with us here on the program. Uh, They are returning here, um, and we have Dr. Elsbeth Muth. I believe that I pronounced that correctly. Uh, Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. And Freddie Zental Weaver. I love the Zental. Welcome to the program. Where is that hail from? Hi, Richard. Yeah, Zental is my teacher name. I gave it to myself about 15 years ago. And it's Zen because we do a lot of meditation in our practices and teaching. And Tal because I'm tall. And Zental because there's not a lot of Z's in the English language. And I like the way it sounds. (laughs) How wonderful. Yeah. Well, I am so happy to have the two of you here. Their website, folks, is uh, is tantranova.com. Yeah, I'm sure that a lot of um, eyes, eyebrows jumped up and uh, uh, you, you probably thought, oh, what is this program going to be about? Oh, dear. What are we where are we going on this program? Well, calm yourselves. Calm yourselves. Yes, I realize that uh, it could be any time of day or night and you're listening, but They've written a, a book that is now available on Audible as well as, as through Amazon, Sexual Enlightenment. We're going to talk about that 
with our guests, uh, Elizabeth and uh, Freddie, uh, who uh, basically have assisted thousands of couples uh, and singles uh, to create a lasting intimacy and fulfillment in their life and relationships. Uh, and, of course, they've been featured on uh, a, a Showtime's documentary series, Sexual Healing, as well as the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, Starting Over, best-selling authors of Sexual Enlightenment, as I just mentioned, uh, and um, endorsements coming out their ears, as it were. Um, first of all, and, and I always like to start here, especially on a conversation such as what we're about to have, because people have got received mixed messages as to this word and you use it all the time it's it's the core and that word is intimacy what does that word mean to you and what does it mean in the context of the work that you do to help people wow great beginning yes yes so intimacy Intimacy has different forms and shapes. You know, it could be emotional intimacy. It could be mental intimacy, spiritual intimacy, sexual intimacy, physical intimacy. And in our work, we really, you know, bring them all together. So that sexual and spiritual intimacy actually can be woven with each other and support each other and inform each other to really elevate ourselves, our experiences, our bliss. And um, it has to do with connection, you know, connection with self, because if I'm not intimately connected with myself, I cannot connect intimately with Freddie or anyone else. Yeah, you know, Richard, I love the term, into me I see, intimacy, into me I see. And the whole idea that we are so busy in our left brain and analytical and outside of ourselves and thinking and figuring out the now and thinking about the past and analyzing the moment, we miss the the, the energetic connection to just our heartbeat and our breathing. And just the, the spoken word and what's right in front of us. Uh, and so that's what really intimacy means to me is coming back to that and reminding ourselves how to come back to that listening. Wow. I I, I love the breakdown of the word and, and how appropriate. And it seems to me that at least in my lifetime, starting about 40 years ago, 44 years ago, I... It was, and this was not intentional, even though my my metaphysical primer is autobiography of a yogi, which certainly uh, delves into that realm, though it doesn't refer to it in that respect, talks about getting to know oneself inside, as you say, intimately in, in that respect. Uh, but I went through some personal growth programs throughout the 80s and early 90s. And one of the things that dawned on me as you were sharing that definition, that breakdown of the word intimacy it's possible, and I've experienced this, I'm sure you have too, to have intimacy on the level of knowing, you know, knowing this, thyself, so to speak, as well, to be intimate with a large group of people. A year ago, I was a part of a performance group called the Santa Barbara Revels, and we rehearsed together from early September until the performances in mid-December. 
and it was every Monday and then a uh, crash course, so to speak, rehearsals on uh, Saturdays once a month until we got to December. And then it really got down and dirty and we became a family and I'm on stage and we're in the middle of a performance and I am about to tear up because I'm going, wow, I can't believe I'm a part of this. This was, this is so incredible. Yeah. You know, I love that, Richard, because in theater, it's interesting with, and you know, as performing, when you connect with an audience of people that you have never seen before, and it's like in that moment, you are like brothers and sisters and your heart is shared, the breath is shared, you're in the moment. And that's one of the things I love about theater, making that connection as a performer as well. Um, you know, because the truth is, science is saying, you know, that it's all connected. String theory states that it's all connected by string vibration. And we're so science has proved that out. And it's just our ego that thinks that our my life is separate from your life is separate from I mean, you know, biologically, you're me, I'm you. Chemically, we're the earth, you know, atomically, we're the universe. It's all connected. I'm curious. I, I want to go further into that. But before we do, I want to I want to first remind our listeners that this is Tell Me Your Story. We are talking with with uh, Elsbeth Muth and uh, Freddie uh, Zental. I love that. I love it. I just I can't say it enough. And we're talking about intimacy. We're talking about uh, their latest work and a free gift that's available to you. I will create the link for folks to get this free gift. It's called the introduction to sexual meditation. It's a video class. I'm not even going to bother to give the email, the web address because it's too long, but the link will be there folks. Uh, when you go to listen to SoundCloud or uh, it'll be there on the uh, video. Uh, and it's uh, basically um, uh Learn the distinction and practices of sexual meditation to access and channel your creative spark. Uh, and speaking of that creative spark, the two of you uh, are not only a husband, wife, but you're also business partners. I am curious as individuals, and we'll start with you, uh, Elizabeth. How did all of this begin for you? Uh, what was the catalyst that said this, this is my path? Mm -hmm. Wow. Great question. Because, you know, in my earlier life, I was far from what I'm doing now. Um, so I grew up in Germany. I came to the United States in my late twenties to do post-credit work in music. And then a few years later, I got my doctorate in education and then I moved into management consulting. And I had gotten very good in consulting. That was in the 90s. But I was so miserable in relationship or unhappy, let's say, it, um, because I had this pattern of attracting unavailable men. And while that was exciting at times, most of the time I was alone. And there came this rock bottom moment when I faced what the trajectory could be if I didn't change the pattern, which, you know, looking ahead could be that I never would have lasting intimacy and love in my life before I leave this planet. And I was not willing to settle for that. And that was the time. And I said to myself, Elspeth, whatever you need to do, 
go do it and see what's in the way of you bringing in the beloved that you truly want and clear whatever is there that has kept you in this unavailability pattern. And so I delved deeply into meditation and then into studying Tantra as a serious discipline, not just as, you know, reading a book here and there. And that was quite remarkable what opened up. What I discovered was that I had distrusted men and I was not aware of, you know, these things are being discovered in the tundric healing work that goes into the body, into the visceral self, not just through the mind uh, where, where we talk about things, no, really in the experience of all being. So what I discovered was that I had distrusted men. And um, now, while I was not a distrusting bitch at that time, I didn't show up like that. I was rather charming and inviting. But underneath, in the subconscious, there was something running that was not visible to the conscious mind. And that was not trusting. And so through the work, that all got cleared which was actually quite magical because I had tried to work on this in therapies, you know, a couple of de decades before, um, and that was very helpful. So I thought it was complete. But again, what I didn't know was that there was memory on the cellular level of an incident when I was 18 years old that really was the beginning of that creating unavailability. And how that showed up for me was that um, the 18-year-old, it was, you know, at a time when I was with the, my first boyfriend, first love, we had a beautiful, blissful relationship. And then he asked me to have intercourse. I said, yes, although I was not ready. It was freakingly painful. I had to go to the gynecologist the bill went to my house. My father opened it. All hell broke loose. Mm. He called me a whore. And then a few weeks later, the boyfriend left the relationship. And there I was all by myself, no one to turn to. And in my despair, you know, I came up with this nanosecond decision, what we often do in order to cope, which for me was something like, Elspeth, see, men are not there for you when you really need them. Now, while that was like that at that time, this decision trailed me throughout my young adulthood into my adulthood, like underneath, not a super conscious thing. And it colored everything, even that I just created further evidence for that to be so, to be true. You know, that is the invitation of unavailability, all unconscious. Nothing is done consciously. Because if it was conscious, I would have changed it. And so what it assisted me, the tantric practice, in was shifting that distrust, letting it go, opening into trust first, trusting myself, because that also had gotten lost somewhat. Something like, you know, when I didn't say what I wanted with my first boyfriend, 
like Elswit, why didn't you speak up? You know, why didn't you say something? You cannot even count on yourself. So rehabilitating that, that I could count on myself going forward into the future, then trust in men in generally, general decreased. And then six months later, Freddie Santal came into my life. Ta-da! <laughs> well, now, uh, two things. Um, first of all, I want to touch upon the aware- your awareness at that early stage of your need for intimacy. But first, as uh, and, and unless you folks are watching this on YouTube, you don't know this. Freddie did something as you were telling your story. And that was he reached and put his arm uh, at least around or behind you, I guess, as a support, because I'm taking it from that, uh, his action. He is aware that you sharing this story is not easy in spite of the fact that it was some years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that is very, you know, <laughs> wonderful to notice that, that this being supported by him, by Freddie and mm-hmm. by a man a man who can hold space for me, you know, and be really present and open his heart. Yeah. Now, has a huge heart from the beginning I met him. Uh, and now it's even, I would call it now, really, he developed further the capacity because an open heart alone may not be enough to bring that what he just brought, that availability, that presence, to just be there without wanting something or also with like, oh, I have to take care of her, you know, Mm -hmm. like as if I was needy. No, not like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead, Freddie. She's got quite a bit of distance. She's flattened this story quite a bit. I mean, there's still some residual, uh, you know, sort of, you know, on the horizon out there. Uh, Yet, though, it doesn't happen Uh, like maybe it did at some point in her life. She's got this baritone voice right now because she's getting over a cold. So. Uh, yeah. And I, and, and, and I do understand and appreciate the fact that the two of you have chosen to go ahead with this interview. Uh, oh. I, I've uh, done a, only, thankfully, only a few interviews where I was like, no, I only, uh, you go ahead and you two talk and I'll go over in the curl up in the corner because I just don't feel it. It's like, no, 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 no. The show yeah. must go on. My Lord, I live in California. I yeah, <laughs> Hollywood and everything. You got to move forward. So I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. Oh, yeah. um, the other aspect of it too, and we will get to uh, uh, this aspect of uh, intimacy, uh, awareness of intimacy or the need thereof in just a moment. But Freddie, I want to ask you a little further down mm. this particular path. Uh, I interviewed my parents in 2015 on this program, and it's now available uh, in the podcasts. Mm-hmm. And in the context of that interview, and my parents almost made it to uh, 60, what was it, 62 years of marriage. My father almost made it to 92. But one of the things that they shared that I see in you, the two of you, my mother said, when it came to each of their individual dreams, aspirations, and desires uh, for, for fulfilling whatever dreams they might have. They supported one another. And my mother put it this way. She said, I have his back, and I know he has mine. That seems to be missing 
mm. not only in couple relationships, but just in general, when you start talking about, well, I'm a Californian or I'm an Arizonan or I'm an American, there is no, I have your back unless there's a disaster. And it's like, we got to shift that to, it's got to be every day with disaster or no. Freddie. Yeah, that's what we're evolving to. And that's really the core of our work, you know, collectively, individually with couples, individuals, to get to that seeing ourselves in each other. And one of the great opportunities in relationship, Richard, is to practice allowing the other to be totally who they are and supporting that and getting out of our own ego and our own fears and our own stuff that we do to manipulate. Um, and it's a, it's a full court press. I mean, it's an ongoing process. Uh, what we teach as a practice, sexual meditation, is the core practice that really assists us to remember what we've forgotten which is this intimacy into me, I see. And when I see that, then I can see myself in you. And then I can want for you what I want for myself. And then there we have it. Um, you know, because, you know, we come into this world and it's like anything's possible. You know, it starts out in womb service. You know, we're just floating in the womb and oh my God, it's wonderful. You know, nothing we have to think about food. It's just great. All of a sudden we're born, whoosh, you know, whacked on the bottom, you know, bright lights. Some guys are getting their wee-wees cut and you're thinking, send me back. And then our brain e evolves and we have all these experiences in our life, good and bad, ups and downs. And then we get to a point in our life where it's like we've, we, we're looking into the world from this clay that we, we believe, but we have a dream about something that maybe we haven't created yet. Maybe it's love or open relationship in our life that, that, that there's just actual open heart and support with each other, which maybe we never were modeled or saw in our life, but there's a vision, there's an idea. And that's our connection to the universe is that dream, imagining something that's never been before. So this work, sexual meditation, particularly in the altered state of the sexual, like meditation, uh, when you add the sexual to it, you know, there's more endorphins, serotonin, oxytocin, feel-good hormones. So chemically we're shifted, emotionally we're more available, loving, open, vulnerable, receptive. With intention, like I want to create a loving relationship or more open, you know, support in our relationship, we get more unmasked to this self that we don't see that's running in the background. And we can start to flatten and get some distance from that to move with grace, ease, and flow towards what we most deeply desire. Um, and I probably went a little further than your initial question, but it's all leading towards that because that's really what what the opportunity is for all of us as humans. And I think where we're, uh, the glass is half full and we're moving in that direction. Uh, it matters to us. It doesn't matter to the universe if we destroy ourselves. But I think uh, if the arc, you know, leans towards uh, existence, then we will do what we are, you know, are, are designed to do to continue to exist. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'll keep getting out of our own way. Exactly. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story. We're talking with uh, Elizabeth Muth and Freddie Zental, and we're talking about their their well, their latest work, but also the work they've been just constantly doing, having to do with sexual uh, enlightenment. It's in Audible now, and uh, yours truly is a member of that group. So I'm going to use some of my credits and grab that book and listen to it. And uh, and and talk more about it as well as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. Elizabeth, I, I, Elizabeth, I want to ask you, uh, going back, and I, 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 I've mentioned this a number of times that I'm going to talk about this with you, and I want to. When did you realize, when did you become aware 
that you not just wanted, but needed intimacy in your life, genuine intimacy on, on whatever levels you were aware of. Oh, yes. Actually, you know, the more I do the work and the work really, I can only work with people in this deep way if I do my own deep work. Otherwise, there is no affinity, there is no empathy, there is no compassion. So in that exploration over the years, because it you know comes and goes, I'm not saying I'm always in that self-examination or that there is a breakdown or, you know, something shows up in my life around relationship, around love. But at times, and these are often very insightful times for me, not always easy because it can be quite confronting. Mm. And so um, there is really... um, What has shown up for me is that that was from the beginning. When I came out of the womb, you know, when we go deep into the subconscious, we can actually remember quite a bit. I couldn't remember this when I was younger. But through the work, I can actually remember how it was for me to, you know, be on my father's arm when I was born. And not that I necessarily remember the action. I remember the feeling. Mm-hmm. That is usually what we remember, you know. Mm. And there was that intimate connection. Although I had a very difficult relationship with my dad, but I think that was part of that intimate connection that also produced, you know, some conflict. So, Anyway, back to your question, for me, that has been there from the very beginning. And then when I moved into puberty, you know, I'm one of 10 children. And uh, yeah, so, and I was the, really the curious one, the adventurous one, and really you know, reached out and explored to the chagrin of my parents. And I loved to fall in love and it just felt so good or had a crush or, you know. So I'm talking about romantic intimacy here. And but also that human connection, that deep human connection, be that with other teenagers or then later on in my young adult life, very meaningful to me. And, you know, I always have been an educator. Really, really caring a lot about kids, kids from three years old to all the way up to college, where I taught music, uh, both in Germany and then in Boston at Berkeley School of Music at, um, what is that? I forgot this big conservatory uh, that is there. But anyway, and so that connection and that caring, which is part for me of intimacy, um, has been there all along. 
And actually, no surprise that I became a Tantra teacher. Mm -hmm. Although if you had told me that, you know, 25 years ago, I would have said, Richard, you're out of your mind. <laughs> I was a management consultant. There was nothing of that. You know, that breakdown had to happen around the despair over attracting unavailable men. When mm -hmm. I got so despaired, that is when I went deep into myself and did the discovery and shifted the pattern. And that really altered something for me. And then, of course, the great uh, results I got from studying Tantra, the healing part. I left the consulting firm. I got certified as a Tantra teacher, met Freddie. Mm -hmm. While he had grown up in a Tantric household, very different from uh, me, by the way, me with this German strict dad and, you know, mm -hmm. much more regimented. Ten children, can you imagine? We were standing like this. Wow. <laughs> you know, straight and upright. And Freddie grew up very differently. Anyway, when I met him, he then decided to get certified as well, and then we pulled our resources and created Tantra Nova. That's our story. We're sticking to it, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> TantraNova.com, by the way, folks, is the website which you folks can go to uh, to get the book as well as find out more about uh, the work that uh, 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 Elizabeth and Freddie are doing. Uh, this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, and we are uh, into a program that uh, a conversation, I should say, that that is uh, quite intimate uh, um, and that. Um, really speaks to our willingness. And Freddie, you and I probably can relate to this, although you grew up in what sounds to me like an a very open and vulnerable uh, allowing environment. Uh, whereas most men, uh, you don't, you're not vulnerable in front of anybody. If you're going to cry, you better find a quiet little hole somewhere to do that. Uh, you know, it's important that we cry, but you don't want to cry in front of people because uh, that's not what guys do. And you got to be tough and strong and you got to be ready to take control and and be there to support uh, the people around you, whether it be your partner or otherwise. What what's what has been your experience? What was your experience growing up in that regard? Was it uh, that pretty open and I can express my feelings, I can express my angst? Without criticism? Oh, absolutely, uh, Richard. My father was a really avant-garde, cutting-edge psychiatrist in the 60s. And he had a, a, an institute called Create, Institute for Creative Living. And uh, he basically, it was 40 um, therapists and psychologists who were coming out of their training who needed the 3,000 hours. And they were working under his auspices, seeing people. And this was like the 60s. So it was wild, you know, love. And it was like people were learning and, and it was, you know, free love, the, the summer of love kind of thing. Um, and so I was totally raised to to be expressive, to be creative. Uh, and I was around all these creative people. I mean, his friends were like Ram Dass, uh, Alan Watts. Alan Watt, we lived right next door to him on a houseboat in Sausalito. They, my wow. father, he used to do workshops together. He used to come to our parties. And so I was like eight years old at that time. But and then we moved to Hawaii and I'm getting into my puberty now around, you know, 13 and spending a lot of time in the shower, you know, as a lot of guys are doing at that time. Mm -hmm. And my 
you know, he, he basically gave me a book to read on sexual meditation. And that, that was my first introduction to Tantra. Uh, you know, and what was interesting about that, you know, people hear about Tantra and they think, oh, gee, yeah, right. I want to be a better lover or something mystical. I mean, whether you're doing consciousness work or not, when we're in our orgasmic moments and the sexual moments, we are more unmasked. It's an altered state, as I said, chemically, emotionally. Um, and so now when you add the awareness of breath and energy and, and as a meditation intention, then we start to get more vulnerable, more receptive, more exposed to what we don't see about what's running in the background that perhaps is giving us what we don't want and get started to get out of our own way to start move towards what we most deeply want. And I learned that practice then. I mean, I was starting to, when I started the experience of sexual meditation at the time, I had this dream to go on to college on athletic scholarship, but living in Hawaii, didn't know that I'd get the coaching and the exposure and da 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 da. It was a belief. So the practice has really assisted me in flattening and getting some distance from that belief to believe and move with grace, ease, and flow towards this thing that I wanted to do. So I went on to college on athletic scholarship. I did all the things you would normally do to practice to do that, but it was with ease and flow, and it just came to me, felt that way. After college, I was in the software business for a long time in, in corporate America. I always felt kind of lost there because I, I had this other idea of something more I wanted to do or share and be and, and, and create in the world. Uh, I was a, a conga drummer and I, I used to have these jazz guys that were total musicians and um, I would get them jobs and they would get paid. I'd give them the money because I really didn't need it at the time working corporate, corporate America software business, San Francisco. Um, it, but there was this creative edge that I wanted to experience, you know, experience more and more of. Uh, so after about 15 years in San Francisco there, uh, I was at an edge where I was looking for more in my life again. And I thought, well, maybe an opportunity this had opened up in Chicago. So they hired me, moved me here. Uh, that was 22 years ago. And it was perfect because I was single looking for a shock, be a female Tantra partner. Elsbeth showed up, uh, on my, on my radar. And we met, and as you said, she said, we pool our resources, created this work. This is all we've been doing for the last 22 years all over the world with couples and individuals and singles. Has there ever been a time when either of you has questioned your ability to love? In other words, do I really love this person even in your present relationship, do I really know what that means? Um, because I know a lot of people have been uh, given a lot of different advice as to what love is. Uh, you know, the, the, there's that uh, one, uh, <clears throat> uh, love is like an ocean and so forth, the John Denver song. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, because I know that there have been times in my life where I, I, I enjoy being with this person and I enjoy doing things together with this person, but I, I, there's that doubt. And I'm wondering if, if that doubt is misplaced because it's like, well, but you just said it. You enjoy being with this person. You enjoy doing things together with this person and creating and so forth. 
Uh, so, you know, doubt wherever that's coming from, shut the hell up. <laughs> well, this is what I say about that, Richard, is that there are a lot of loves. There's romantic love, which is what people often think of when they hear the word love. There's agape, you know, loving everything, everybody unconditionally, uh, which is something to strive for. And then there's the love of the capacity to continue to create and be your authentic self. Uh, you know, because the difference between me loving Elspeth and me loving a person on the street that I'm just talking to is our uh, our agreements. We have agreements, you know, so this heart, this love, I am sourcing this love from internally and sharing it externally. So when I keep doing that, then love is everywhere. And it's just the agreements that we make. So it's not, it's, it's, so again, there's a fat, infatuation and people think, oh, well, I don't love this person because I don't feel those sparks. I don't feel that that sexual excitement, da, 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 whatever they're associating love with. But for me, I continue to go deeper and deeper with this love and look at it universally and look at it creatively and look at it as a way that exp- exponentially creates the existence. You know, we're all here to serve and it's up to each of us to keep listening to our unique way we serve. Mm. And that's love. And um, the people who come into my life, Elspeth uh, has been such a gift for me in allowing and not allowing, but assisting, supporting, being part of, you know, who my expressive, authentic self is in the world. I mean, in this work, I've been able to do this. I did this show, created this show, Sexual Enlightenment, which I did all over the world. It was a one-man show. Whenever we were on faculty at uh, Esalen teaching out there, we would do the show or, or Kripalo at Kripalo in uh, Linux. We'd do the show. We did it in, in uh, Bahamas, uh, Australia, Paris, everywhere in the world where we teach and be, I would do this show for years. And I always wanted to do this this theater because, again, the theater is one of the most authentic places for me. There's transformation that happens, you know, with an audience. And uh, and the show was about demystifying sex, love, and intimacy, about our work. You know, it was a one-hour show. I would sing and tell stories. And it was just a great expression. And and also teaching. I've always loved teaching and sharing and sexual energy. So this has been such an expression. So Elspeth has been such a part of my expressive, creative, um, uh, continued uh, giving in the world. So that's love, man. Elspeth, mm. what about you? Uh, so how I look at love is like there is this feeling of love, which is wonderful. And love amongst people is really a psychosocial action, like from the heart, but then it's a social expression. Because I can have great feelings, so oh, I love this person, But am I expressing it? And how am I expressing it? Does the other one feel it? Or is the love so egocentric? You know, like, because falling in love is actually very self centric. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing bad about it. It's not good or bad. It's just. uh, That's what it is. Yeah. Unless we learn to really transcend it into a way of caring that always needs an expression in action. You know, when I say I care or I love you, if there is no action, 
And the action could take on different ways depending on the two people or perhaps also depending on how Freddie would like to receive my expression of love. So I better check in with him, hmm. you know. Am, am I overshowering him with gifts? But that's not how he experienced being loved. Hmm. Perhaps it's he feels loved when I reach out to him or initiate lovemaking. So to really then look at what how would I like to express it, how would he like to receive it, and then, you know, we coordinate. The other aspect for me is that while I can love, I can love many people, back to the agreement, I call it the commitment. You know, there were moments in our relationship, not that it was never like, oh, I want to leave the relationship, but there were challenges. Mm-hmm. Both of us had to get clear where do we stand, what are we willing to give or not give or no longer give. Um, and these are, you know, were very clearing and important moments. I think that we have been together for the last 22 years and stayed together has a lot to do with the clarity of commitment. I remember when it was a year into into our relationship and um, we just had moved in together. And Freddie always had a little baffle bag fully packed in the closet. So one day I got very angry with him over something else and I started really hammering him. Of course, Freddie, you know, is tall, strong. He just holds my hands. <laughs> I'm totally helpless then. He said to me, Elspeth, don't ever hit me again. If you do this, I cannot stay with you. And I said, okay, I won't do this anymore. And I ask you to unpack your your bag that's in the closet. Because we still both had somewhat the back door open, even if it's just a little bit. And that was the moment that produced a shift in, okay, we are in this together. And so the commitment, of course, also the quality of commitment evolves. Yet that really has been the the guiding light that I'm committed to this human being. I'm committed to myself because commitment to relationship always comes from commitment to oneself because I say so that I want to be in this relationship that I want to have this I want to be with him because there's something that I'm committed to in myself and out of that I'm committed to my beloved I'm committed to the relationship no matter what happens and that has been very strengthening and I look at it as this arch of relationship you know, the commitment and then commitment has sub-agreements 
like how we engage with other people when we fall in love with another how do we act upon that what about honesty with each other not to just go off or you know withhold stuff and so we have cultivated this over time to well, that that does require practice because to be completely honest about what you want or what you feel with the other one. That's not what we were modeled or told. And usually when we do that, that kind of intimacy, intimate exposure, we're subjected to something, ridicule or firing or being hit or so, you know, um, if we could look at the relationship, our relationships in our lives as opportunities to transform, you know, our fears and to, to move towards truth and honesty then the relationship really serves a purpose beyond the romantic drama. Like almost six months to the day that we met, Richard, we transcended what I call the romantic drama and created Tantra Nova, which so deeply served both of our needs, wishes, desires. And, and expression. And expression. In the, in the world. world. You know, it's really our life has become our life's work. And why I think both of us came uh, onto this planet uh, to do this work. Yeah, this time around, definitely. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the vows that uh, my present wife and I took at our ceremony, which we celebrate twenty years uh, in uh, on the twenty first of this month. Oh, congratulations! Thank you. Um, it was uh, um, you know you know you hear the traditional you know, to love, honor, obey, and so on and so forth. In other words, they're, they're pretty hard and fast types of, of commitments. But uh, uh, the one, uh, one line that I remember in the, one of the vows that, that, that we spoke was that I will never intentionally, I'll use the word hurt, I will never intentionally hurt you. Uh, but I may. And I think that's one of the things, too, that we we, we seem to think that the, the individual in whatever the relationship has this, has it out for us. Uh, I, I remember when I moved to California and I was having all kinds of problems with the drivers doing such stupid things. And then somebody enlightened me, I said, look, Richard, these people did not get up this morning saying, let's get Richard, <laughs> which was a double-edged sword, like, oh, and then what? They don't think highly enough of me that they make it personal? Kind of, right. the ego kicks in. Yeah. But um, I think that's one of the things that, that we forget, that a lot of times, and this is where, again, I'm sure this work that you, the two of you are doing comes in handy, if you will, is that we need to become more conscious of what we're doing what we're saying how we are being in this world uh, i finally realized look everybody on the roads today they're just like me trying to get from point a to point b they may not be 100 percent conscious of even what they're doing behind the wheel driving that's where my job comes in. I have to drive defensively. That's my job. And not to attack them for their lack of consciousness, because we're all at different levels. In relationship, isn't it kind of the same thing? Well, you know, I, you know, I, I would say that yeah, I think relationships will evolve to a relationships by agreement. 
So you have an agreement, you know, usually you have the vows till death do us part, but the fine print should be unless you really piss me off, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Never what it was, you know, it's never, you know, what it's going to be. It's what it is. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is, given how heady we are, we're shifting all the time. And so if I start out one way in a relationship and then 10, 10 years down the line, you feel something different. How do you talk to your wife about, well, I'd like to experience some other sexual experiences now, honey, but I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater and leave you and the kids and, and what we have an experience and my love for you. And then, you know, but we say that with the risk that she's going to go, oh, I'm out. You know, but how could, what if you both were doing your work to be able to listen to your own fears and your own upsets about what the other wants to be able to come up with a new agreement, you know, where she could look at, well, okay, I'll do that. Let's do it for, uh, experience, go with you on that for one month, but they can't, you can't bring them home or I want to meet them or they have to have a, you know, go negotiate it to even mm-hmm. approve. So for most people, they don't say it, and then they just don't do it, and then they get pissed off and become resigned that it'll never happen in their life, and then they become old too soon and die too soon and never live their life fully. So if you could look at the relationship as an opportunity to continue to grow and have um, you know, a, a roadmap to follow, and these practices that we teach really allow us the emotional depth to be able to manage all of that that brightness from all of that to this full life you know so that when we go it's not like oh i wish i'd have gone to disneyland <laughs> you know, it's like no i had a great life wow yeah and, and my my parents epitomized that um uh in in their relationship one of the things my mother told me in the interview my parents shared with me was early on in their relationship and in their marriage and i found this hard to believe but I, I know that it does because other people get jealous of what they had. Mm. And so this was an agreement that they made with each other. They said, if either of us hears something from outside the relationship, before we go off thinking stuff like, uh, uh, I think your husband's fooling around on you and so forth and so on. We check in with each other before mm. anything else happens. And it, 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 and I have to say that even to this day, I'm still astounded at even the thought that people would have anything bad to say about either of them. Maybe it was because I'm their son and, you know, I have that relationship and all of that and I trust them. But it's like, give me a freaking break. I know. Are you well, kidding. And well, it's true. All kinds of places, you know. Some people are just looking for the bad, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, it's quite remarkable about that, your parents. That is wow. What a I, great... I, um, I think about them often as a couple. I certainly think an awful lot about my father. Hmm. And uh, even though I knew, I have known for decades that i was named after him uh his name was leslie richard i'm richard less i i felt so strongly about a connection with him at his memorial i actually introduced myself i am richard less dugan ah and i wonder about 
I even asked them about their legacy that they leave behind. They, they never even really thought about it. It was just, they lived the life they lived. They chose the path they chose. They wanted to have a big family. You had 10. I had uh, a total of eight. We had six kids and uh, two parents. So, so you got me beat, but that's okay. <laughs> that was huge. I had four. There was four in mine. So, yeah. Uh, so, well, I'm curious as to, uh, I want to talk a little bit before we wrap things up about legacy. Um, you're dealing as, as I hear you speak the, the words you have in this, in this uh, segment, th this portion of the program we'll be doing, you deal in the present moment. You're not concerned. Yes. You have to deal with a person's past in terms of, of, uh, the, the, the traumas that have taken place, uh, such as you have shared with us, uh, Elspeth, but you're here now you are who you are strangely enough, even because of those experiences that you had now, now, what do you want to do? Do you want to find your life's purpose? Do you want to find that creative life force energy uh, that can help serve me in my life and my work? What do you want to do? And is, is that sort of the starting point in terms of, uh, well, let me, let me not ask that question. Um, so you've got that going, you're dealing with the present moment so that the, the person can go on to the future. Do you at, at any time in those quiet moments, think about what it is you're leaving behind, or is that even of a concern because you know what you're doing is what you should be doing. And, uh, you're, you're, the two of you are on target on purpose, et cetera. Yeah, I, I definitely feel I'm on purpose here. This is my purpose. What we are doing, what, you know, the work, the the legacy for me lives in making a difference with people now. And out of that, that their lives change. You know, when I look at just a couple of examples this one woman who came to us two years ago, a little more, fresh from divorcing, totally emotionally broken down, yet very committed to, to creating a shift for herself. And the shift for her entailed to come to seeing herself. Now that took a few workshops and, you know, really intentional work on her side. Yet through the work, what opened up was the shift from the feeling of being victimized, subjected to life, to relationship, to a husband, where she felt like being in prison, to seeing that she is the creator of her life and the creator of love, the way she wants to experience love, the way she wants to express love. Of course, in the process, she really had to start discerning the men she attracted. Because once that opening arises within the person, you cannot go with the same behaviors the same 
like unconscious desires because they get you the same stuff that you, you know, that bring you the same results. In this case, which is the result of not feeling fulfilled. And ultimately, what our work is about and what we share is to live our life in fullest aliveness, like life force, sexual energy is life force energy. So when we become more aware of that energy, we can actually channel it. We can use the energy to imbue ourselves, our physical health, our emotional well-being, our mental awareness, and we can create with this energy, create, you know, what we want to bring forth in life. Mm. So for her to come to a place of being the creator and looking Mm -hmm. what she's attracting and whatever is not coherent with that, what she says and feels she wants to no longer go towards. And for me, she's such a great example because she shifted her relationship with men like 180 degrees. She Mm -hmm. doesn't out anymore, doesn't settle for, you know, just a little less. No. And it all comes from her own inner shifting Because once we shift our standards or once we shift what we are committed to, our life changes. Mm. And that is, you know, seeing that, that is where I feel my legacy lives. We are talking with uh, Elsbeth Muth and Freddie Zantal, and and we're talking about uh, sexual enlightenment uh, as well as uh, sexual meditation, Tantra. I mean, intimacy is really the core of this conversation. Uh, and um, I know that as a kid in, in my teens and 20s, I didn't have a clue as to what uh, uh, intimacy really was. I knew what I wanted as a guy, but um, I wasn't aware at that time of the whole aspect of loneliness. I do remember one encounter I had with my mother. Uh, and I, I bring this up only because uh, <clears throat> I, I think it's it's relevant to the openness that we need to be taught with. As you, it uh, sounds like you, Freddie, you were uh, taught. Uh, and uh, and uh, it was, uh, I, I met this woman. Uh, she was... Uh, 11 years my senior, I was 21. She was a divorcee. We connected in one of these personal growth programs where one of the rules was you don't have any relationships with any of the people in the group, in the organ, uh, the, the program until 30 days after. Now, we all know how that can go. It didn't. <laughs> so we we started having a relationship shortly after the program and it was short-lived but i remember coming home one morning and my mother uh knowing where i had been she asked anyway i says well i was over at sandy's house and um she says well the kids have been asking where you are what do i tell them i said tell them the truth i'm not a, i'm not ashamed of 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 this you know 
And um, I've often found that that it's one of the aspects of uh, not just sexuality, but just plain intimacy. And then that vulnerability that we really, you know, we have enough of a problem in our country today here in the 21st century in 2023 with, with getting the truth out of someone, you know, with, with talking about what's real, what is really real, the facts, you know, um, that we breathe oxygen. We may not agree on what it, it could be a gas, could be a liquid, could be a solid, but we all breathe it. All right, fine. Uh, but it's like we've gotten into this this place where we can't even talk to one another because we're unwilling to, I think maybe the proper term is to define our terms so that we understand where the other is coming from. You say intimacy, I say sex. Well, wait a minute, I need to tell you what I mean by intimacy. Your thoughts on, uh, so, so to speak, uh, you talked about this, uh, maybe this goes under the category of agreements, but um, talk to us about the power of words and the importance of being able to understand and uh, be understood clearly, not just superficially. Yeah, that's great, Richard, because communication is key, you know, bringing forth what it is I'm wanting in my life to the outside world and wanting to create in my life. Yet we are not raised that way. It's not what we're modeled. We're modeled, shut up, you know, we're, you know, all the disciplining process, school, potty training. I mean, my God, you know, so we are continuing to, uh, we have to continue as adults to raise ourselves. Our parents did as much as they could, Uh, you know, so this, this move towards, Speaking your truth, being your truth is an ongoing process Um, because it's a self-discovery process because oftentimes we don't even know what it is we really would love to do or we don't trust that we could, you know, be good at it or would be okay to do those things. And we don't get to it till later in our life. So speaking our truth, being our truth is an ongoing opportunity. I wanted to get back a little bit to the idea of legacy that you mentioned. And my sense of legacy, uh, my father wrote five books. Uh, you know, he did a lot in his life, and I don't know if he'll ever be remembered, you know, in a big way, uh, you know, but I think that on an individual basis for me, moving forward this conversation of intimacy, sexual enlightenment, we could teach these practices to nuns and priests if they were vowed to celibacy. It's about being what this energy creates us being in. It's the intelligence of the sexual energy. It's like The sexual energy itself, whether you're doing consciousness work or not, is creative. It creates life. It's pleasurable. When we bring consciousness to the sexual in terms of a sexual meditation with self or with another, what starts to show up outside of the bedroom is more creativity and pleasure just in the just in the process of living. So if I'm constantly telling myself in the conversation, I hate my job, 30 more years retirement, that dog doesn't hunt anymore because if I'm listening from that intimate you know, cascading effect that the thought has, I'm not even going to say that because that is not in a pleasurable place. That's not in a creative place to have that kind of thinking. So it shifts the whole way we're looking into the world when we start bringing consciousness to the sexual. So I believe in terms of a legacy, our legacy is moving the conversation from the vilification of the sexual to the embracing of the sexual and not Sodom and Gomorrah necessarily. It's about with that energy and learning like if kids who are just coming into their puberty learn sexual meditation as opposed to just working off 
are masturbating and then falling in love when they have their first sexual experience with somebody that they think that's the, it to be. And then they realize, oh, my God, this person's a human being, too. And they've got their breath stinks in the morning, too, after three years, you know, and then they get a divorce and then they do it again and then so on. As you know, so I, I believe that that's our that's our legacy. That's my legacy is continuing this work as an inspiration and an education and a, a guide back to what we've forgotten. Yeah, TantraNova.com is our website, and uh, we're talking with uh, Elizabeth Muth and Freddie Zental, and we are uh, talking here on Tell Me Your Story. As we wrap up this hour, and I uh, I thank you on many levels for giving uh, this hour to us to uh, to share your story and uh, be vulnerable as as uh, as we are here on Tell Me Your Story. Uh, it's sort of the key of this program is is that even for me, I, I uh, sometimes have to dive into that uh, of bag of vulnerability to say, hey, I'm, I'm just like you. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out just like you. I cry just like you. I hurt at the losses just like you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's really what this program is about. And again, I thank the two of you for uh, sharing with us here on the program today. Thank you for your work, Richard, and having us on your program. I have three other questions, uh, final questions, I should say, that I, I do want to ask you, the two of you, that uh, they've changed since the last time we've uh, we've been together. Before I do that, I want to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., 9 a.m. on Wednesdays. And throughout the month of December, we'll be here from 8 to 9 a.m. Pacific time, uh, bringing you this fine program. I hope it's a fine program for you that you're listening and you're wanting to find out more by going to our podcasts. They're on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, as well as many other locations. And you can watch these conversations uh, at uh, at uh, YouTube, that's right, at YouTube, and I hope that you'll subscribe and at, at the very least click notification so that the next time a conversation is posted, you'll be notified and you can join in on that uh, conversation. You can eavesdrop, if you will. Hope you'll do that. We also ask that if you can support the work that we're doing financially, we would greatly appreciate that. Um, you can uh, use my email address when you go to PayPal, which is there for your security as well as mine. Uh, it is. Uh, Richard at RichardDugan.com. That's Richard at RichardDugan.com. And please take the time to spend some time going within uh, that quiet, calm, peaceful place and listening to that still small voice. That, to me, is truly a pure form of intimacy. Uh, Give us that acronym once again, Freddie. Or into me, I see. Into me, I see. And that's really what it's all about when we go in, we go within. And with all of that being said, we now move to our final three questions. And I'll bounce it back and forth. So uh, each of you has a chance to uh, <clears throat> to, uh, to think about your answer. And yes, folks, I am wearing fingerless gloves because it's cold where I am right now. <laughs> First of those questions uh, would be, uh, who is uh, Elsbeth Muth? Hmm. 
who I am has really been becoming who I am today. Um, and who I am now is really a woman who has great clarity of what she came here for and also my dedication to people to make a difference uh, in bringing greater fulfillment and aliveness, uh, you know, to each of them who are working with us. And another thing that I haven't mentioned yet earlier, which is really the older I get, the more passionate I become. Mm -hmm. So passion and loving and being fully self-expressed really has come to the fore more and more the older I get and that there's no limitation. I remember earlier this year when I set out my intention for 2023, one of them was that I wanted to express myself in the way I dress and how I show up in a flamboyant way, fully, you know, not giving a damn. <laughs> so just <laughs> being expressed. And I've been doing it. It's been really great she's, fun. She's quite dressed down today because of the cold she's under, but uh, she's typically with the feathers and the whole thing. Oh, oh my. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> All right. Well, who is Freddie Zental Weaver? All right. Well, I'm a tall black man, tall thin black man. I am a motorcycle enthusiast. I'm a jazz singer. I'm a performer. I'm a teacher of Tantra Nova. Uh, and I am an open heart and a loving person. Uh, I'm a son. Uh, and I am um, a caring person. And I have committed the last 22 years of my <laughs> life in teaching these practices and really, really excited about the evolution of the human consciousness as we continue to learn to love each other better. That's me. To Freddie, what is your life's purpose? Uh, to be happy, continuing to uh, enjoy my life, uh, continuing to authentically um, uh, share my gifts, uh, continue to serve, uh, and um, yeah, be easy. And Elizabeth, what is your life's purpose? Yeah, to shift out of suffering mm. within myself and then sharing this with others, they can uh, shift out of suffering mm. into full self-expression and their aliveness as into my full aliveness. I mean, this is why we are here, to be alive. To, and not just because we have these bodies, you know, I can be still alive, but not alive. Mm -hmm. you know? I hear you. I hear you. And our final question to Elizabeth: uh, <clears throat> What was your best day? My best day? My best day was when Freddie came up the stair stairs for the very first time looked up, and there he was. You know, when I met I, you? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And that was the beginning. 
He came over for dinner, and that was a splendid day. And Freddie, what was your best day? Well, I bring it into the present tense, and I'd say there's nothing more important than this moment. So I would say this is my best day and best moment right now. And I'm honored to be a part of it, and I'm honored to have the two of you back on the program again, and we'll have you back again down the road to uh, to catch up and talk more about this, because this is a conversation, among others, uh, that needs to be had and is vital, in my opinion, uh, the two of you uh, would probably agree, I would hope, but uh, vitally important for our mental health and wellness. And thank God we are having those conversations. Yes. <laughs> thank you again for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, Love to love. Jeanette, I am still listening. Dad, continue to be happy because I am. To my best friend, Smokey, I'll see you on the other side. And to my dear friend, Zorro, aho, aho. <laughs>